You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hey everyone, welcome to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley and I'm your host. Today we are lucky enough to have the Chief of Staff of the Army, General James McConville, with us. General McConville assumed duties as the 40th Chief of Staff of the Army in August of 2019, and that was after previously serving for two years as the Vice Chief of Staff of the Army. And he has also served as the Commanding General for the 101st Airborne Division, the Deputy Commanding General of the 101st Airborne Division, and was also a Brigade Commander with the 1st Cavalry Division. All in all, he has spent more than 41 years serving the Army and the nation. Welcome, sir, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. It's great to be with you, Ashley. So we're really excited to have you here um, for this opportunity to have our listeners hear from you. And there are tons of things that we could talk about. But I thought we would start with a question about your priorities and then go from there. So when you came on as chief of staff, you made people your number one priority, and it's been more than three years since then. Do you think the Army is making progress in providing the right resources and programs for Army soldiers, families, and civilians? Well, I, th I think we are making progress, and, and I, I think it's really important to explain why you know people is number one priority. Because you know, with, in the Army, you know, people are our greatest strength. Uh, they're our most important weapon system. And you notice I say people, I didn't say soldiers. Now I include soldiers in there, certainly soldiers from all three components, but uh, families are so important. And thank you for your support to your spouse. Thank you. Also civilians and soldiers for life. Uh, but what's, but I think it's really important that we provide, you know, quality of life uh, capabilities for all our families. We, they want to have good housing, they want to have health care. We want, we you know, child development centers. We have many uh, married couples right now and that worked in it. So we have to take care of them. Spousal employment is really important and, and we're trying to do better things to move. And we don't have it all right. We, we need more work, but we are putting a lot of investments into it. And the way the, at the Army at this level works is we want people the number one priority is so when it comes up to barracks and it comes up to housing, those things get funded. And it does take a while. We still have barracks that have mold. We still have housing. That's not where we want to do it. And, sure. and we certainly get feedback on that. But we've got to get after that. And we are aggressively doing that as, as fast as the resources allow us. You know, as a spouse, you said a couple of things in there that directly impact me. Obviously, employment. You know, I've moved with my husband multiple times, and I've been lucky enough to continue doing what I do. Um, but childcare as well. We don't live on post, but we utilize the childcare on post. And my children, from birth up until they've gone into school, have used the childcare facilities. And we would prefer to have them on post, honestly, rather than off post. So we have, um, we've definitely utilized all of those things. What I see is. And we talk about we, we enlist soldiers, but but you know we retain families and you know and the spouses. That's why I always want to thank spouses because you are responsible for your soldiers serving and you know and it and it's really important. And you know I've looked at what, what my my wife has done. You know we, I think we moved 22 times in the last count you know, over 41 some odd years. And wow. Uh, and I'm watching. I have a daughter that serves, and you know we recently had a grandson. So excited about that but the, the you know she's a dual military couple so we're, we're getting to see how that all works and so we have an obligation uh yeah. especially when it comes to child development said now here's the challenge for us we are building them but you know it's almost like a we're in a war for talent for child carers our, our child takers and, and we in you know the good thing about the army is sure. we have the highest standards for our child development centers but it, it we're very challenged to fill the you know the the, the people that are actually willing to do it. So we need to do more in that area too. 
I'll tell you what, before we move on to the next question, we have loved our child development centers and our children have had amazing care in all of the ones that they've been in Germany, Fort Drum, Fort Bragg. Um, we've, it's been amazing. Um, but let's move on from that. So like we said, people are the number one priority, but readiness is also the Army's priority and one of your top priorities as well. Um, so with Forcecom being the largest organization in the Army and the force provider, the Army relies on Forcecom to meet global commitments. With missions over the last year, like the evacuation out of, out, out of Afghanistan in the last six months in Europe with support to Ukraine, can you share some thoughts on the importance of the command and what it provides the Army? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, force commerce is incredibly uh, important. You know, at the end of the day, the Army exists to protect the nation, and it required a fight when the nation's wars as part of the joint force. And, and what ForceCom does, it provides those highly trained, uh, equipped, and, and well-led forces that we need uh, to send the missions. And, and, you know, sometimes they know, you know, we have uh, planned deployments, and, and, and that's pretty easy, but quite frankly, over the last couple of years, we've had to uh, do no-notice deployments. The, the 82nd, in fact, you know, since I've been chief, we've deployed them four times, no notice. And every single time, uh, they've done incredible work. Uh, we deployed the 1st Brigade and the 3rd Infantry uh, Division, no notice to go over to Eastern Europe. You know, we had the 1st the first Infantry Division. We've had our National Guard and Reserve. And, and really, it's, it's been a very busy a uh, couple of years, and, and what the uh, senior leadership knows is when they need Army forces, that they will be ready, and ForceCom is uh, responsible for providing them. And I want to give a shout out to our, our air defenders, especially our Patriot forces. We've asked an awful lot of them over the last couple of years. They're protecting our soldiers in, in the Middle East, and there's been many extensions uh, that they've had to do because they provide that critical protection for our forces, and they're the only ones that can do it. Absolutely. So switching topics just a little, um, recruiting is another really important topic right now. Um, and to maintain the Army's readiness, we've got to continue to recruit the right people and have the right people in the right places. The Army's future soldier prep course, which was just announced a few months ago, looks to assist with this effort. You visited Fort Jackson to get a firsthand look. What was your impression? I, I was very impressed uh, with the, the preparation course because as, as you said, uh, we are challenged uh, right now during recruiting. In fact, all uh, kind of walks of life, of business right now are in a, a war for talent. And you know, what, what I like to look at, some, there's a lot of reasons why people say, but what, here's what I see is the last couple of years of COVID have really been tough for our young men and women. Yeah. They just have. You know, it's been tough to go to school. Uh, it's been tough to play the sports. And so what we're seeing is we're still getting, you know, the, the same amount of young men and women interested in serving. But they're just having a tough time passing uh, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude uh, Battery, which we call the ASVAB, which is for the you know, for civilian uh, listeners is is kind of an SAT uh, for the Army, and they're having a tough time getting the scores they need to you know get the jobs they want in the Army. We're also uh, seeing some challenges as far as the physical fitness side, you know, sure. so, you know, few percentage over fat, but over overweight. But what we're seeing is, you know, I went down and saw the course. It's, it's been up for about two months right now. We're seeing some really good improvement in the young men and women coming in. Uh, their scores are going up. Uh, we had one uh, young soldier. Uh, their scores went up like 40 or 50 points, wow. which is really pretty amazing. And the average, I think, was 19 points and 75% of moving up into the next category. So there's just a lot of really good things going on with the first cohort. 
And we think that it may be the future. And, and the, the thing that I was most impressed with was when these soldiers meet the standards uh, for the level that we want them, they can go into initial military training. And they're doing very well because some have had five or six weeks of military developmental training. It's not, it's very different than some would think in, 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 in you know, the old basic training where you're the shark attack type <laughs> with a, a very aggressive stress uh, factors in the soldiers to get them. It's much more developmental. And what we're finding is that they, you know, they get discipline, they're getting uh, fitness. And when they go into initial military training, they're actually very far ahead of their peers. And, you know, some of these you know, kids who probably never done that well are in leadership positions and, and actually doing very well. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, we will scale that up if it works the way we think it is. You know, we're, we're taking assessments. We have it right now at Fort Jackson, but it may go to Benning. It go, may go to Leonardwood. It may go to uh, Fort Sill where we have our other initial military training. And so I think that from where I sit, the secretary sits, we're not going to lower standards. We think quality is more important than quantity. And what we're going to do is invest in young men and women that, that have a commitment to serve, give them a chance to, to do better on their SATs, if you will, yeah. and get them fit and then allow them to serve. And I think that's where the future of the Army is going to come from. Absolutely. I think it's awesome. I mean, you have these people who, who genuinely want to serve and, and make themselves better so that they can. What a great opportunity. I met a young man who had been trying to pass the ASVAB for eight years. Oh my God! You know, he was very physically fit. He wanted to serve in the army. He just was having trouble with his his SATs, if you will. And what's interesting now too is the ASVAB. They don't let the young men and women use calculators. And a lot of the kids today, um, they don't do math like maybe you know they're used to using calculators, and uh, we don't allow them to do that. So some are challenged by those like things. But it looked like he was in a good place, having the structure and the discipline uh, has prepared him for. You know, being able to serve in the military. So we're pretty excited about that. Well, and who knows? Maybe one of these future soldiers is our future SMA or, you know, one of our one of our top leaders in the Army. Who knows? You never know. You know, I mean, <laughs> Ice Chief, uh, Brady George, was came in the Army as a private. You think about that. Came in the Army as a private. Uh, his non-commissioned officers recognized his talents and said, you ought to try to go to West Point. So he went to the West Point prep school and then going to West Point, and now he's vice chief staff of the Army. So wow. there's a lot of opportunities uh, in yeah. the Army. You can be about anything you, you want to be in the Army. In fact, you can be all you can be. You know? <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> That's awesome. So AUSA is coming up very soon, um, and we typically get some announcements from the Army in conjunction with the event. So we've heard that FM 3.0 is going to be, re be released during AUSA. Can you give us a preview or some insights? Yeah, sure. So you've got good insights because we are <laughs> FM 3.0. It's, it's multi-domain operations. Uh, it's a doctrine uh, that you know we're, we're going to use for the future you know, we've been dealing with concepts. We've had multi-domain operations concepts. We've talked a lot about that. What we want to do is take those concepts, turn them into doctrine, get them down into the, really the hands of soldiers, just like the new equipment, let them work with the doctrine. You know, it doesn't mean it won't change, but but once you get in the hands of great soldiers, great non-commissioned officers and officers, we will develop the, you know, the, the doctrine and, and, and be able to implement it. And it's really what the shift is, is, you know, really for a lot of us over the last 20, 22 years, 
we've been doing counterinsurgency, counterterrorism, uh, you know, irregular warfare in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And as we recognize the future threat and we're getting a lot of lessons learned from Ukraine, it's really about large scale combat operations where we're going to be contested in multiple domains. And what we mean by domains is certainly, you know, we're going to be contested on the land, in the air, but also the sea and cyber and space. And so we've got to have doctrine that's going to allow us to do that. And for us, it's not about, you know, fighting the last war better. It's really about winning the next war. And winning does matter in the business that we're in. Absolutely. So you are getting, you're heading into your final year as chief. Um, and before that you were vice chief for two years. So what has it been like to see your vision unfold over these last five years? Well, we're, we, yeah, we're very pleased with, uh, you know, and I'm very proud of what the army's done. It, it's, it's a tremendous team effort here, uh, both with our civilian and, and military partners. Uh, what we've been trying to do is produce the best army for the nation with the, with the resources we get. And we are seeing transformational effects coming in. We're going to have 24 signature systems coming in next year with from long-range precision fires uh, to mobile detected fires. Uh, we're down-selecting future helicopters. We've got air and missile defense systems coming in. I mean, it's just a lot of excitement uh, that we're going to be bringing uh, into the force. And we've got great soldiers. And, and, and it's just not that. We've brought a lot of policies that, you know, quite frankly, parental policies that help, you know, folks, you know, with, with children and we want them to yeah. stay in the army and we're, we're competing for the talent. So we've changed a lot of policies. Um, we've done a lot with talent management where, um, you know, we try to move from industrial industrial personnel management system where you kind of treat everyone as interchangeable parts to young people. And today don't want to do that. They want to be managed by their talents and we're putting systems in place to do that so they can be all they can be. And so, I'm excited about that. And um, we've got great leadership in the Army. We've got great non-commissioned officers. Uh, we need to do a little work on recruiting. Uh, but, you know, we're going to have the best equipped, best trained, best led Army in the world. And I think that's that, that makes me feel good. Absolutely. And and you mentioned some of the things, but you've been you've been the force behind a number of changes and initiatives and, and really adapting the Army for the future. What do you think we need to continue to do to be on the right path for 2030 and beyond? I think we need to focus on people. You know, we, we always like to talk, we talk about futures, we talk about modernization. Everyone assumes it's new weapon systems. But at the end of the day, you know, the Army is people, it's our soldiers, it's it's our families, and, and, and we need to never forget that. Never walk away. We can always buy tanks, we can buy helicopters, we can buy whatever systems. You don't inspire them to... To serve, they we put gas in them, we change the parts, we put you know, and they'll work. But at the end of the day, um, it's committed soldiers that have the will to do their job that will really make the difference. So we have to invest in people, we have to invest in leadership, and then we have to give them the tools they need, the cutting edge technology that's going to allow them to have the advantage that we, we want them to have. So much advantage. That no one wants to fight us. That's when we're really winning. That no one wants to fight us because we're the toughest one to block. Absolutely. So real quick before I go to my next question, I just want to mention you're talking about people and the resources and, and programs. I just did an interview with a soldier from the 62nd Med Brigade out at First Corps, or JBLM, and we talked about H2F 
and he talked about how amazing the program is, um, how it, he thinks it's the best thing the Army's done in a very long time. He wishes he had seen it sooner. But um, our interview was about how he had lost a couple of, of close friends to suicide and how he has utilized the mental readiness aspect of H2F to really help him through some of those things. So just a little a little plug for H2F and how, how it's really helping soldiers. No, I think it's really important. I mean, you know, sometimes we talk about it, it's, it's a good acronym. It's Holistic Health and Fitness. Some <laughs> yes. people thought just being fitness is doing push-ups, but it, it's much more than that. It's, it's taking care of the of the whole person, you know, making sure they eat right. I, I'm very blessed to be married to a dietitian, so I, I kind of cool. Nice. And then Jim Pass, you know. And he, <laughs> but, I mean, really teaching young men and women how to eat, that matters. How to get the right amount of sleep. And then and really how to do fitness. And then bringing in, as you said, uh, you know, the whole uh, mental and spiritual fitness that helps them be resilient. And, you know, we, we all go through tough times, but it's also yeah. building cohesive units where everyone has a leader that cares about them. Everyone has a buddy that cares about them. And we tie the families in. So you know, a lot of times, and, and I think this is really important, the, the, the junior leadership should know the families and the spouses. Because a lot of times the spouse is going to know. Hey, you know, my soldier is not sleeping well. The soldier is stressed, I, and they need some help. They need to know who to call so they can get help. You know, we have behavior health officers. In fact, my, my daughter's one. You know, in the army, and at each um, brigade level, well, most are brigade level units, and we want to make them available. So when someone's having a hard time, they get the help they need, and we want to do that up front so we, you know. Yeah before we, we, we have some challenges. All that stuff is extremely important. And when you when you look at what we're putting into units with holistic health and fitness, and we don't have them there all the time, but you're talking about dietitians, strength coaches, physical therapists, yeah. behavior health officers, a lot of you know experts that really take care of the soldiers because the soldier is you know the most important one in our units and, yeah. and then we'll, we'll get the equipment for them. Absolutely. And just to, to close that out, the, the soldier I spoke to, he, he said exactly that. They're there for the soldier and looking out for the soldier. Um, so moving on. <laughs> so um, you were talking about engaged leadership. Um, so what advice would you give to a young lieutenant coming into the Army? Or what would your advice be to an NCO about their role in developing a young soldier into future leaders? Yeah, for, you know, for the for lieutenants, you know, the, the, the one thing I would tell them, it, well, I tell them a couple of things. One is you need to lead from the front. And in order to lead from the front, you have to set the example. Uh, you have to be a master of your craft and lieutenants are learning. But, you know, when you come into an organization, um, you know, you need to, you know, make sure that you can lead in order to lead. You, you know, you need to make sure you know your job and, and you can do your job. You certainly need to be physically fit. Um, it's hard to lead from the front if you can't keep up with your formation when they're doing uh, sure. physical fitness. And the other thing is you should have integrity uh, that's beyond reproach. You know, you, you need to be the moral compass for your organization. Again, that gets back to setting the example. And we expect them, at least I do, that the best leaders, you know, get the mission accomplished while taking care of their people. And that's extremely important. And then for the non-commissioned officers, uh, we're very blessed to have the best non-commissioned officers in the world. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, we look at other forces. We take a look at what's going on in Ukraine and, and with, the, with the Russian forces. The fact that they don't have a great non-commissioned officer score really makes a difference. And if 
you want to operate the way we feel we need to do with mission command, where we're going to be operating in small dispersed units. You have to have non-commissioned officers that are highly trained, disciplined to fit, that, that can lead their organizations and make things happen. And quite frankly, I think we're blessed to do that. And if you are a non-commissioned officer, you, you need to make, make sure that you are highly trained, you are disciplined, and you are fit. And you can help those lieutenants do their job and you can, you know, take care of your soldiers and, and accomplish the mission while you're taking care of your soldiers and families. So, sir, I know you are you are a very busy person. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Before I let you go though, I wanna I wanna give you an opportunity to cover anything that maybe we didn't talk about already. No, I just well the, the one thing I want to do is first of all thank you for taking the time. Thank you for your commitment. When I talk about you, you being a spouse, I mean all the spouses out there. I mean, I, you know, I, I really uh, can't say enough of what uh, our families, uh, you know, do uh, to allow us to serve. And, and, and my wife tells me she goes, "Don't thank us for our sacrifice. Thank us for our commitment." And and because she thinks yeah. it's still a great life, and we've had a chance, as you know, I can see, you know, you got a, you know, very strong uh, enthusiasm about the army, and you know, it's a great experience. It's not always an easy experience, but no. thank us for our commitment. And so, what I like to do is just thank all the families for the commitments, and I also like to say that I am very, very proud uh, to be the chief of staff of this army because we have the world's greatest soldiers. And every day is a, a great day in the United States Army because we serve with the world's greatest soldiers and the greatest families. So thank you. Absolutely. And thank you, sir. Again, I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with our audience and be on our podcast today. All right. Have a great force come day. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's it for this episode. And we'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can watch full video episodes on YouTube. Just search for the Force Come Frontline. And we'll see you next time on the front line.